0: So I'm really interested in how a human can have be a harmonious unit, you know, of because most of us walk around fighting a civil war within ourselves, and then we project it, we project that out onto others and other people we meet, and we um, uh, externalize that. And what I'm really interested in is that kind of sense of uh, of inner um, wholeness and becoming fully human. And this sailboat metaphor is. It, I like it because you have to integrate all the parts. You know, you need the you need the stability, but you also need the uh, ability to adapt and the ability to grow, and, and to and to learn. It's a it's a developmental process for sure, and it's we're constantly having to just choose growth. There, you know, the idea of self actualization is a level. You know, life is not a video game, and that's what I try to emphasize. You're not like you reach a level of needs like a belonging, and and then some voice from above is like, congrats, you've unlocked connection you know and then you, you move up to connection and you don't have to worry about you know belonging anymore
1: collective insights is a voyage through topics and technologies revolutionizing human well-being we explore the fields of neuroscience integrative medicine anthropology optimal psychology systems thinking and existential risk groundbreaking approaches for a better world and a better life await you welcome to collective insights
2: So this talk is with a dear friend and one of the more thoughtful and heartfelt psychologists I know, Scott Barry Kaufman. He was a protege of Martin Seligman, the founder of Optimal Psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. uh, And he has taught at Columbia, NYU, and really all around the world. His most recent book called Transcendence actually takes um, pretty much the hidden or forgotten papers of Abraham Maslow. And most people are familiar with Abe Maslow for his famous pyramid, the idea that we go from survival and security to belonging to potentially self-actualization. And that was kind of the rallying cry for the baby boomer generation and really teed up the 60s and 70s and the entire sort of field of personal growth and and self-help. And what Scott's recent book does is actually goes into some of his late, late journals that weren't fully published and realizes that the cherry on top of Maslow's pyramid was, was not self-actualization, it was actually self-transformation. And what Maslow meant by that and what Scott does a beautiful job of unpacking is actually it's actually a return to service. Self-transcendence is what we actually get beyond ourselves, not when we fully optimize ourselves. So in this era of biohacking and personal growth, and it's a lot about me and what can I do and how can I live my best life, uh, Scott has really, brought the legacy of optimal psychology back full circle, to that the best life is actually one dedicated to the service of others. So he's a total sweetheart. He's incredibly thoughtful, kind, and generous with both his heart and his mind. And I know you will enjoy getting to hear us riff on all these topics. The first thing I would I would love to unpack is your recent or even new book, Transcend, and how you've really kind of added a vital and missing chapter to abraham maslow's work and you've not just sort of been a historian of of a, of a prior scientist uh, you're really adding your own your own take uh, your refinement and updated models uh your own input on what are those higher reaches of human potential what do they look like how do they feel like what are they good for um, so how about just just start? I know I know you've you've really done something with shapes and, and specifically geometry of Maslow's famous pyramid, and you've kind of upgraded it. So so let's let's first just kind of jump in there and just orient folks uh, to what is the train that we're looking at. so uh, we're looking at a
0: sailboat, not a train. Uh, this, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> I have a new metaphor for life than a static pyramid. Many people might not have heard of Abraham Maslow, the humanistic psychologist uh, from the 50s and 60s. But I realized when I was looking into the writings of Maslow that he never actually drew a pyramid. Uh, there was I was really looking through his writings. I was reading his personal journals and it's like, where's the pyramid? Where's the pyramid? I don't see it. And um, if you actually look at his uh, writings, as, as I did in very in depth, you realize that he was a really, really a developmental psychologist at heart. He believed that human development was, was always is always this two steps forward, one step back dynamic. Um, we may uh, not be hungry at one point, um, you know, we're satisfied, but then four hours later, we're hungry again, and then that shifts our worldview <laughs> um, yeah. to the chronically deprived, uh, to the chronically hungry person. Everyone looks like a hamburger. <laughs> um, to the chronically deprived uh, socially person, everyone looks like a, a friend, a potential friend a potential. you know, you become very uh, needy um, to the chronically deprived person of self-esteem. Um, that person can overcompensate and start to demand respect from others. Uh, and and we can any of us, you know, there's a common humanity there. So I think a better metaphor is a sailboat. I really do think a sailboat is a better metaphor for life, something that is more dynamic uh, something that moves, something that, um, is an integrated whole as opposed to something you climb, you know, life, I don't think life is this, is this mountain you climb. Um, I mean, anyone who's ever viewed life in that way then gets to the top of their goal and they like are only excited for like four minutes and then the fifth minute, they're already thinking, well, what's my next goal?
2: Mm-hmm. Because if <laughs> they don't have it, no. they don't have
0: another mountain to climb and no. they get, they'll get depressed, you yeah. know? You know, so that whole model needs to be thrown out. You know, life is to be experienced. And with a sailboat you have, uh, the, the, the boat is indicates safety and the, uh, the, the, the sail indicates growth. And we certainly won't go anywhere if we have too many holes in our boat, if there's not enough needs uh, satisfied. But we mm-hmm. don't go anywhere when just with safety. You know, mm. we have to eventually yeah. get out. You're, you're great at this, Jamie will getting outside your comfort zone. Um, and, uh, and right. You're good at the, you're good at exploration. You know, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. The sail is all about exploration and, and, and moving in the unknown of this, of the sea. Um, you know, having your values, having your moving in a purposeful direction, but amidst knowing that the waves can come crashing down on us anytime, but we still
2: move. We don't, we don't, we don't stop moving. Just because well, well, we're well, let's talk about that for a sec, because I, mean, I think the, the first thing right, that's nice that about your it's not just a change in shape from a pyramid to a boat with a sail. You've also got motion, you've got motion across yeah. time and space. Right. And so, and, you know, and you've yeah. even got a sense of kind of vulnerability where like layers of a pyramid might feel more fixed and immobile. Then, like you said, you can get some holes punched in the hull. And it changes things, right? You yeah. Can, you can be in a stiff gale, and, and and sometimes there's too much of a good thing. Um, so it's nice that you, and I hadn't actually all, ever thought of Maslow in the realm of Lovinger, Piaget, you know, the kind of classic developmentalists. But you describing it that way makes me kind of wonder, because you're two steps forward, one steps back, that kind of you know, just basically very human yeah. experience of like things don't always go according to plan and they don't always work according to two-dimensional models. Um, talk to That's me true. a little bit because, because, you know, that pyramid is social media sexy. Ladders and rankings and diagnostics and quizzes are social media sexy. They are, they are, mm. they mimetically propagate maybe more than their academic validity. Absolutely. So, so talk to me about that. Like, what is what is your sense of how we grow? Because obviously, we're all in a world of hurt right now, and we all need to get better quick. Right. So, developmental psychology is really germane to the world yeah. right now. The way I look at it is
0: from a very whole organism perspective, as the humanistic psychologist did. So, I'm really interested in how a human can have a, be a harmonious unit. You know of because most of us walk around fighting a civil war within ourselves. and then we project it we project that out onto others and other people we meet. and we um, uh, externalize that. And what I'm really interested in is that kind of sense of, uh, of inner um, wholeness and becoming fully human. And this sailboat metaphor is, is I like it because you have to integrate all the parts. you know you need the, you need the stability. But you also need the uh, ability to adapt and the ability to grow and and to and to learn. It's a it's a developmental process for sure. And it's we're constantly having to just choose growth. There, you know, the idea of self-actualization is a level. You know, life is not a video game, and that's what I try to emphasize. It's mm-hmm. not like you reach a level of needs like uh, belonging, and and then some voice from above is like, "Congrats, you've unlocked connection." You know, <laughs> you, you move up to connection. And you don't have to worry about. You know belonging anymore it's like it's like you you let's pretend you're uh how old are you how old are you am i Mm -hmm. allowed to ask your actual age
2: 47 okay
0: is that okay that i asked you that is that too personal no um you look great by the way for 47 (laughs) (laughs) you look great okay pretend that you go visit your high school again you know um, at the same exact high school, and let's pretend you had all the same teachers still teaching there in that high school, and you took a tour through the halls, and you took went went to the classroom. You wouldn't, in your head, you wouldn't revert entirely back to Jamie
2: Wheel. Do you remember Jamie Wheel at age fifteen? Yeah, sort of. Do you remember vaguely, that guy? You know, yeah. Like it's a vague. Yeah, th- yeah and, and I'm curious about that. I mean, maybe, maybe you're not explain it, but I'm curious about persistency of self-construct. So, like me too. Like what does it mean? Like the all, all the things of like you know we we I mean the numbers are all wrong but placeholders are like we replace every cell in our body every 3 years and memory is plastic and reformatable and you know all these kinds of things to say who honestly are we? That is the artist formerly known as <laughs> you know. Like what what is your sense of persistence of psyche? I'm fascinated
0: with this topic too. We we like yeah. we obviously nerd out over bond over multiple topics. Yeah. Um, so all the research shows the only thing that really needs to stay consistent for us to fool ourselves into thinking that there's such a thing as a consistent self is our morality. That's it. Everything else can go. Our memory can go as we age. But if, if we feel like we're no longer in control, have self-control over our, um, ability to do, uh, moral things in the world, then we actually feel like we've entirely lost who we are. And that's because most people. Associate their true self with their goodness. Mm-hmm. This is this is what all the re- you know, the research shows in authenticity. People have an I call it the authenticity bias. People have an authenticity bias. They'll disavow any of the naughty bits of them. So if they do anything naughty, they they don't like they like they drink too much and they do something and the next day they're like, oh that wasn't me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how many celebrities do you see do all these horrible things? Right, they're like that wasn't people who know me know the real me. It's like no, that was you. That now it wasn't all of you but it's so important to take responsibility for all of you not just the most moral parts but from a consistency point of view um th- that's what all the research shows even with dementia you know when, when everything else starts breaking down
2: but, that, that as long as i'm feel, still going from the same guidebook that i've always believed yeah. in and tried to steer from absolutely and so that that could probably go the other way let's say that your identity at
0: age 15 was an asshole. um uh, you know, well, think about a think lot about of the, AA,
2: right? I mean, AA is the classic. Like, I was, yeah. I did, I made a bunch of bad choices. Like, comes to a very shaky moral code. And then I adopt Ten Steps wholesale. Does yeah. that
0: change selfhood? Yeah. And what happens in those situations is that those individuals, once they change and they grow, they they start to believe, oh, that is the real me. That the age 15, you know, person wasn't the real me. Um, mm-hmm. When I was addicted, that wasn't real me. Um, when I've changed and I've grown and I've, and I've really made a, a more, uh, gone towards goodness, then the metaphors that I've, um, I'm not distracted anymore from being my best self, um, mm-hmm. or my, my, my true self. I think all of us, I think the, or most of us, we want, we want to, we want to think that we're doing good. Even, you know, a lot of people who do bad in the world still think that they're doing good. And that's, that's interesting too.
2: Okay, well, this is, a, this is an entirely new avenue. And I'm, know, psyched. I'm psyched to go down. We'll come back to Maslow and pyramids and self-actualization, I promise, but, um, so, okay, so let's talk about this. This notion that morality is the most persistent and abiding index of selfhood. is that Was I hearing you more yeah, or less right? that's exactly okay. right, yeah. So then we've got- And self-control, they're, they're, they're okay. tightly linked. Yeah. And we've, and we've got the scenario where someone was living out of integrity, nominally, <clears throat> and then they do something like 12 steps, come back online and say, this is actually the real deeper, true of me, if I heard you right. And I was perhaps hijacked by demons, models of addiction, models of something that was a degradation or perturbation of pure self, true self. Yeah. Right.
0: Think of all the, the self-help programs and books called Rediscover Your True Self. Yeah. There's five billion. They, they all say the same thing. J- pay us lots of money and we'll teach you how to rediscover your true self. By the way, I'm starting an online course in September, so I'm not above this. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> but, <laughs> Mercy's a business but we all got to eat, you. right? Thank you. <laughs> um but but there's something to I mean there's something to it. People are are that's
2: what they want to do. They want to reclaim what they think is their true self. So you know? so then so then let's talk about this because I mean um the notion, again, back to developmental models, most of the time there is an integration phase a time where that worldview or stage or phase of things appears to be operating quite well for me then there's a disintegration and transition phase to the next which then gets stably annexed at least that's the you know that's the kind of conventional modeling right Um, Mm -hmm. so in each of those and then and then think contrast that with evangelical traditions any or or road Mm -hmm. to damascus experiences any i once was lost but now i'm found or I once was in a life, and this goes, you know, red pill, blue pill, matrix, you name it, <laughs> yeah, right? Perfect example. Yeah. And and I have died to my prior conceptions. And and I mean, and the question is, is my understanding of you know spirals of development or progressions of child to adulthood development is there's there's a lot of these. There's a lot of shedding of skins and entering into the subsequent utterly new realms, whether it is purely secular, humanist, developmentally yeah. tracked, or whether it's psycho-spiritual and you have first born twice born people I'm born again in my faith or renewed right or even recovered an yeah. addiction as another sort of in between model that's kind of you know poach borrowing from birth tradition so yeah. how many like if we're continually being reborn if we're sort of Wendell Berry has that great phrase like practice resurrection right so if we're constantly practicing resurrection if we're constantly dying to that which we were to I would just say choosing growth. <laughs> We're going to say choosing growth. <laughs> yeah. Which is the nice incremental version. Yeah. Right? But if yeah. there are, in fact, what feels like these momentous divides of which, after which, nothing is the same. You could throw in the psychedelic experience. You could throw in lots of these, right? Um, yeah. What does that do to our selfhood based on your model? of our morality and our and our codes especially let's say we go from socially defined so my rule book my moral guide was pretty much the one handed to me the one from family of origin culture of origin these kind of things and i might start realizing wow that's getting a little long on the tooth that's constraining i'm actually not steering by that anymore and i'm now adopting or living into or being you know again sort of transformed into a new one i've got a new book now am i still the same person or are we continually reinventing every time we upgrade our morality ethics and um, an oper- operant worldview?
0: I, I suspect if you were under the influence of LSD right now, you would know the answer to this question intuitively, not intellectually. <laughs> it's um, all the
2: same fucking thing, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's James Job. I, lo- <laughs>
0: I love that. I love that so much. Um, you know. When you're under certain states of consciousness, where certain altered states, I should say, of consciousness, it doesn't just have to be through drugs, but altered states, ob- as you know, can you can have lots of triggers for altered states of consciousness, um, where your your self in reference to the world has shifted, and you know Andy Newberg's research on the uh, prefrontal lobe um, showing that your whole self representation uh, has has changed. Uh, that, those sorts of questions don't even make sense because there is no such thing as a physical substance called the self. I know that's pretty, that's like that fighting words to some people, but all the self is is a cognitive representation of who we are. And if we can change our cognitive representation, we're literally changing our self. I mean, it's, it, we're, we're, we can constantly update our self concept. That's all it is, is really, I self concept, you know what, mm-hmm. what, and 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 that's why I'm a big believer, as I as I read about in this, I shouldn't say believer because it's science, science, my book mm-hmm. um, is all about science. I think the evidence suggests that's better, that's better than big believer, um, that it's to someone's um, if you want to really fully grow to your highest height, you need to take responsibility for your whole self. And you need to have as much self-honesty as possible. See, my approach is is different from maybe some other self-help approaches, where I don't have like a ten-step pro. You know, I don't have like a, you know five ways five ways to hack. You know, and you know people <laughs> do that. They always put you know they you watch these videos. They put their hands up five ways to hack your brain. You know, whatever. But I, I think that um, it's every individual needs to find out their own unique path to self-actualization and own it. And recognize that um, it's some of some of that path that they've consciously committed to might differ from their biological disposition, even or from what their genetic destiny is. I, I what I'm I'm just, yeah. this is a topic I bet you love too. I love people who say "f you" to their genetic destiny and transcend mm-hmm. it. I did it. I did it. I did it. My ge- my genetic destiny was to be in special education, and I said "f." you to you know like i'm going to transcend that i'm going to um
2: well do not not now you're just an extra special education
0: <laughs> right now right
2: yeah. oh. <laughs> you know, well no home, i mean you, you're yeah. 100 pursuing the notion of what is non-ordinary modes to learning and growth that's ex- that's exactly that's right so here's a question for you so it sounds like in that description that you are basically a developmental constructivist Right, that nice. people go along through life and they're making sense, they're constructing meaning, choice, etc. Now, what, like to, to contrast that, because we're, we're talking about a hyper plastic self, right, yeah. which is sort of re- referential, context dependent, depends on where people are in life, all these things going on. What is the essentialist counter argument? Is there well, something, is, because yeah. you, in, in transcend, you talk. I was actually moved by your description mm. of what that transcendent phase truly looks like, and I want to, you know, come back to that and unpack it properly. Mm. But that idea that it's not just the top of the ice cream cone, that mm. it includes the full embrace of the pathos of the human experience on I mean, you—it's the whole shooting match, right? I mean, it's, it's the, yeah. the Zorba the Greek, where he talk, He calls about—is no, no, this, is this right? No, or is it the fiddler on the goddamn? I feel like maybe it's over the Greek, but he basically calls life. Like he, he looks around, he's on his fishing boat, it's Anthony Quinn. And he talks about like the kids and the wife and, and the, the work and the boat and, he, and, he, and he's like, it's the full catastrophe, right? And, yeah. and it feels like yes. the transcendence is, is the actual embrace, reconciliation, integration, celebration of the full catastrophe. So the question, my question is, is by the time we get to that person via your developmental constructivist path, yeah are we actually delivered full circle to something unique and essential said by any other means what is our soul like Mm. what is what is what was the germ that was the seed that becomes the fullest flourishing we have in us and i've never assigned described defined any of those concepts or categories because they're just outside my normal realms of thinking
0: well I think there is a psychological soul I do i I have often talked about self-actualization as finding this the most alive, unique creative center of your being. and I think that's your soul, you know, and we can try to unpack what that means and how to discover that and et cetera, et cetera. but I think that there's value in talking about. Uh, the psychological soul, but for, even from a biological genetic perspective, you know, I, I don't want to be on record saying I don't believe in, that genes have any value or mm-hmm. uh, any or make any contribution to who we become. That that'd be silly, you mm-hmm. know. There's a whole field of behavioral genetics showing that genetics makes quite a substantial contribution to our uh, personality and uh, intelligence, even. So obviously, these things play a role, but I'm so interested in um, the human capacity to at whatever extent we have it to create ourselves, you know, and, uh, and I know you are too. I know you are too. And we don't create ourselves out of whole cloth. That is true. We create ourselves, um, with getting lots of sources of information from our genes, from our inclinations, our tendencies, as well as what other people tell us other people's feed, you know, there's feedback, right? So if I want to create myself to be an NBA player, and I show up to the 76ers training camp, they will promptly arrest me and put me in jail, you know, for, for, for <laughs> crash for crashing the NBA. Right? I, I, it's not like they put me on the team. Um, so there are limits to to you know you get fee- you need feedback from the environment, you know. But I'm so interested when all these things are harmonious with each other so Mm -hmm. i build up my skill level to the nba level i find the right coaches the right connections to allow me to come to that training camp um i have they're they're, they know that i'm on the roster to to train you know not that they're surprised that i show up you know Mm -hmm. but you 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 set all these things in motion that are all harmonious with each other to allow you to become the person you most want to become that that's what i'm very interested in i think people Mm -hmm. have a lot of possibility to uh become something very different than who they currently are i I do Mm -hmm. believe in that
2: well so so then then let's time step it right so let's say the mother who births that child holds them cradles them understands in a pre-linguistic essential way what is this little monkey in my arms and and they get a sense of how they respond to delight and novelty and stress and all of these things, right, and, and and how they pair and how they connect a thousand things that, again, are pre-linguistic and pre, um, I suppose, you know, egoic, as far as anything resembling a developmentally mature thing you could point out and talk about. Is your path to, you know, your, your your articulation of Maslow's origination, is it a constructivist developmental path full circle like Dorothy? To come back to as close as possible like you said via choices via actions via practice via training via you know, not simply subject to acting out the genetic imprint or mandate but are we somehow trying to forever you know as like ram Dass said like not just walk walk each other home but find our own way home and the closer we get to that the more aligned we are and the more you know in your modeling that more transcended we are in the sense of coming back to where we began.
0: Yes, I think, it, I think it's a very complicated question because I think <laughs> we can have, yeah. it, it, as you'll know, my answer to everything will be like this. I think there's pseudo home and there's real home. Okay. And I think it's important to distinguish between the two. I think too often in our lives, we, um, we are tempted by the yeah. devil. No, we're tempted by, by a feeling that we're home when just because it feels comfortable to us but mm. there are things that can feel comfortable to us that are not actually coming home to who to that alive unique creative center of our soul you know that i was talking mm-hmm. about and yeah. and so i think it's worth distinguishing between these two constructs so for instance um some people who've been uh, abused as children they they feel more comfortable with abusive partners mm. you know and they i mean
2: they, they might be so there. would you say is that is that an yeah. extension is that a sort of a pathologized extension of just Broad attachment theory?
0: It's, it's well attachment theory, but also just uh, the understanding. Um, There's a little uh, uh, trauma 101 of uh, r- research on this topic, but the brain is a prediction machine, as you know. Um, and when we're children, our brain it, uh, operates like a weather forecast for our future. Mm. So if we grow up in an unstable, uncertain environment, our brain starts to predict that that's the way the world is. It, it, that's our worldview. Um, uh, like you actually see this at the neuronal level, you know, the brain wires itself to predict that life will be, uh, unpredictable because, because the brain needs to be a prediction machine or else we wouldn't Mm -hmm. be able to adapt and, um, and, and, and anticipate, um, anything in our lives. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately a lot of people, uh, there are different systems in the brain for fear, learning and fear, unlearning. So unfortunately people, they've learned the fear early in their childhood but they never go through the process of the fear unlearning when they're in a different context later maybe a safer context when they grow up in life maybe they actually have a partner who finally once and for all treats them right
2: mm-hmm. but
0: they never went yeah. through the process of, an, of fear unlearning, so that means they never trust that partner
2: is, is that and the same they, as a as fear extinction as, as a practice yes. okay yeah uh, there are
0: two different systems in the brain um so People don't. People think like you just automatically. Oh, you'll get, you'll grow up, and you'll be in a different context than the context you were growing up. So therefore, mm-hmm. you'll just automatically adapt. But that's not how the brain works. You know, we mm-hmm. actually have to learn to trust again. We have to go through the hard work and that process um, of of recognizing um, goodness in our partner when it truly exists and not being so cynical about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even saying well, or even just saying, well, this doesn't feel home, like home, you know, we we're talking about home, you know, it, it, I, I'm more used to the discord. So therefore that's home. But I would argue that's pseudo home. I don't know. Does this makes sense.
2: I'm imagining that early trauma or a crude trauma shapes personal narrative. You end up with reinforcing f- predictive feedback loops. I'm expecting something big time bad. So I flinch and that makes me fall off my bike and that's the bad right. thing has happened. <laughs> and and so what's your sense? What's your sense of the in bad th- negative inputs and Positive outputs and the metabolizing of grief between here and there.
0: I think that the process of fear unlearning mm-hmm. requires learning, actively learning hope in one's life. And actively, this is Martin Seligman's research because Martin Seligman studied learned helplessness. Mm-hmm. And he found out and realized 50 years later that he had it completely backwards. Um, mm. You actually, act, act, actually have to actively learn. Um, what we learn is hope, not helplessness. Helplessness is actually the default response to a, to
2: a traumatic situation. So that's the sort of flight-freeze little animal response. Exactly. That's yeah. the automatic response. Well,
0: also just believing that because things have happened in the past means that that's what's going to happen in the future. So we don't even try anymore. Mm. You know, we don't even... The will we lose the will, so we have we have to learn hope, and hope is so this idea of learned hope hopefulness is a, a, a big concept in positive psychology right now. Hmm. Um, that uh, my colleague Dan Tomasulo just published a book with that title. I wrote the forward to that book. It's nice. a wonderful wonderful introduction to that. Um, Martin Seligman um, talks a lot about that in his autobiography. Um, called the hope circuit that's what he calls it he says because the hope circuit yeah. is different from the learned helplessness circuit so i think that and is, idea, is, that, is that
2: neurobiological or is that yeah, psychological yeah. and like narrative driven like i'm telling myself a new story or is it something happening at some deeper substrate
0: the, the two are always connected unless mm-hmm. you're a dualist <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right i mean there's
2: always a neural substrate
0: underlining any of our thoughts right mm-hmm. But
2: I I'm, I'm interested to see how you saw that
0: because you 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 sounded like a duelist there for
2: a second. No, no. I think it was more just just curious as to which kind of level of the house of the self where where were you where you coming in on because I mean I, the next question oh. I would have about learned hopefulness is hmm. the Stockdale paradox. You know like the the Admiral Stockdale in Vietnam <clears throat> he was the highest ranking POW he noticed that the Pessimists all die, but so did the optimists, right? Because, because when they were like, the boys will be home for Christmas, the boys will be home mm-hmm. for Easter, and they weren't, then it went into helplessness. And the Stockdale paradox was be ruthlessly realistic about short-term realities and relentlessly optimistic about long-term possibility. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, yeah. like, like like now laid out on your model of the transcended human who's sure. embracing the suck, who's embracing the full catastrophe, yeah, riff riff on that. How
0: how does that land? Pay? Oh, sure. And I think you you made you raise a good point. The extremes are not got good. It's like almost everything in life is a, is a u is an inverted U shaped curve. Um, no matter what it is, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, hope hope is not this thing that is um, having blinders on, and 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 I mean that would be. St- Stupid. <laughs> that's not hope. That's stupidity. Werned <laughs> um, hopefulness is a situation where you teach yourself that no matter what you've endured, there is hope for growth. There's hope for finding some sense of meaning in what has happened to you. Finding some sense of um, uh, maybe having it turbocharge your purpose or your or shift your priorities. You know that there's there's a potential uh, meaning. To be had from the situation, and and that takes experience, and that takes um, a little bit of faith, you know, mm. uh, faith in yourself yeah. and faith in the world um, that that you'll get that that you'll be able to be resilient and not only be resilient but to thrive in the
2: face of adversity. Um, so, how what, what advice would you give folks? You know to strike that balance of taking responsibility for what we can and then also surrendering to what just is and leaving space both for grace and grief.
0: It's a heavy, heavy question uh because there's different forces that are unknown operating on us um if you take specific cases like uh racism in america um there's there are real forces that are um, uh, not seeing black people as fully human. And I don't think it'd be fair to just say to black people, like, we'll just surrender to the racism. You know, and I know mm-hmm. you're not saying that. I know you're not saying that, but I'm saying, uh, that's why this is such a tricky situation because we can talk in generalities. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think it's actually important to make nuanced distinctions and say, what yeah, yeah. Right. so I, when I talk about this, I talk a lot about what are the forces that we can't control? Um, uh, what are the forces that we even if we fight over, we can't control.
2: But the weird thing is is how few people have actually acknowledged that. Like it's it, what I find baffling I know, is how something as utterly agnostic as as a as a pandemic is still nonetheless getting broken into culture war, factionalism, social media trolling. You know, you're like, but well, it doesn't really care, you know, and, and we still seem to be acting where it should.
0: It boggles my mind, you know. When I talk about, you know, practicing and, and I'm going to start sounding a little Buddhist here because I am a Buddhist. That is oh, my nice. philosophy in life uh-huh. is I, I, um, I write a lot about equanimity. And I think that we could all use to cultivate a little bit more, a lot more equanimity in our lives. And equanimity is a great concept that I I like better than grit. By the way, I love mm-hmm. Angela Duckworth, I love grit. All mm-hmm. the caveats aside, this is no shade at all on grit Uh but um i think the flavor of grit that is most valuable to becoming full human is equanimity and that's um the way the buddha thought of it is is dealing with life's inevitable ups and downs and um, unknowns with warmth love openness curiosity um and and if you approach the world in that way it's like no matter what happens in your day you're like huh didn't see that coming you know i almost even have a little bit of cosmic humor mm-hmm. and people are really missing in humor these days but especially cosmic humor yeah you know um yeah. this it, it of does of, feel it,
2: it feels like it feels like life is tragic unavoidably yeah. life is magic and you know yeah. and, and drops you to your knees and the the dialectic between those two <laughs> and the other unpredictability yeah. and absurdity of it can only lead you to life is comic you know, yes. to laugh to laugh at the, the, the interplay of those, those those first two. You're like, tragic, magic, comic, man. And if you can't fucking, you know, laugh, you're just going to have to weep.
0: It's exactly what I'm saying. I'll give an example. The other day I uh, was making oatmeal and my bowl, um, you know, I've tried to put my bowl. It was hot, hot, oatmeal, hot. It came out of the microwave and I tried to put it down and I missed the counter. And so, of course, it fell on the ground and it fell into a billion different little tiny pieces. And my 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 initial I laughed like I looked I looked at it. I was like, I maybe maybe now I'm sounding like a psychopath or something like maybe I'm supposed to care, <laughs> care more about things. But but I'm very Zen about things. You know, I, I, I looked and I was like, well, that's that. Of course, that happened to me today because, you know, I had so much to do and this would be the worst possible time for this to happen. I was late for a meeting. so I was like, of course, you know, there's cosmic humor here. You know, yeah. that's what I mean by cosmic humor. It's cosmically that's pretty darn funny that that had to happen then of course that happened right then you know when i had to go to on a zoom call you know and three thousand people are waiting to see me give a keynote on a zoom call in two minutes and and i'm <laughs> i'm covered in shards of a b- bowl b- yeah. i i didn't get upset you know i was just like this is this is what life is this is what it means to be alive in fact yeah
2: yeah, yeah. i i i find pema Chardons stuff about about that kind of thing you know as a buddhist teacher really really heartening and i think a big part of it is that she was also a mother first you know but she mm-hmm. talks about like she's i think she says there's something almost aggressive about trying to iron out all the rough spots in life so To be alive is to be continually thrown out of the nest
0: that's what you sign up for when <laughs> you pop out of the cervix <laughs> like that's yeah. what you are that's what you're signing up for in life you know, yeah. unknowingly, I mean, we didn't, it's without our consent, um, you know, we didn't agree to being born, but, um, once we become a mature human and we, we, uh, that's, we, we do have a, have that deal, you know, that if we're going to be alive, we're going to take responsibility for our actions in the world. You know, when we hurt people, we take, we need to own up to that. We can't say, oh, that wasn't my true self. You know, when um. you say, no, I, I fucked up, you know, and mm-hmm. And own it, you know, um, and that that'll make you a better person. That that fact, doing that will make you a better person, um, yeah. you know. And and also accepting and owning the fact that life is a shit show, you know. I um I mean I know I'm 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 using colloquial language today. Maybe sometimes yeah. I'll be more academic when I'm in my academic mode, but I feel like me and you uh, can talk real talk. You know real talk. life right can we are we, i hope we're allowed to have real talk on the homegrown oh, human show oh yeah um, has to you know you know what life is is inevitably a shit show um and 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 it's the control issue is the problem so many people try to control others like you know how dare you say you know look at me that way whatever how dare you you know it's like well you can be annoyed at that person you can not like that person. You can want to avoid that person the rest of your life, but I hate to break it to you, you can't control how yeah. every single person responds to you. Can control the way you respond to others.
2: Yeah, so that's the whole stimulus response thing, right? Yeah, get the, the gap yeah. between being choice. So, yeah. so on that, I mean, what what comes to my mind, I feel like an awful lot of angst and suffering and frustration right now, is based on some power, like deeply implicit assumption that this isn't how things are supposed to be, Yeah. right? And whether that's protesting in the streets or whether that's, you know, um, seeking to address any imbalances or injustices in the world. And then- well, We can you know, talk
0: about racism for a second if you want to get really controversial. Um, the, 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 point, the point there is that it's, it's completely unrealistic to, to expect that you're going to reduce racism to 0%. That if if that is if your goal only goal in life is to reduce racism to 0% of the world, it's never gonna happen. It doesn't mean that you you can't fight to to reduce race to like to whatever extent you can to change the systemic structures, as they say, you know, um, Mm -hmm. that make it explicit. Absolutely. But I do think mentally it, it it's healthy to accept that, you know, you're not gonna eradicate assholes from the world. You're just not. It's part of the human genome, and there's gonna every generation is gonna have a certain proportion of assholes in the world. The question is, how do we deal with assholes? How do we like have have well-being for ourselves, you know, and have you know self-respect for who we are that isn't dependent on whether or not an asshole thinks we're an asshole,
2: you know? Yeah. Um, do you see well, well, what I'm saying? Did, look, yeah, and I, and I want you to actually unpack that because uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think you you wrote an incredibly helpful also brave and what my experience very strategic article in scientific american and it was about the rise of victimhood culture but you described several things you described first of all there was a quick little diagnostic and then there were kind of i think it was it was three or four sort of consistent behaviors that arise when we source from the world happens to us and you didn't connect the dots to our current news feeds in our worlds, but the dots were inevitable. And so I'd love you just to kind of, um, you know, unpack for us what was the case you made um, in, in that essay and how do you see it informing? Because I mean, fundamentally you said, hey, once you're on this side of the cervix, you're born into a life of pain and suffering. If we follow our own path, if we excavate and release the things that are less true, less, less pure, we emerge to a self-transcended, person that can actually accept maturely that this isn't a box of chocolates all the time. <laughs> and we can do this, but <laughs> somewhere in between, we can get knocked off balance, we can feel entitled, we can feel overwhelmed, we can become traumatized, um, or we can just be engaging in passive-aggressive power. Whatever the game is, it's somewhere in that transactional analysis, neck of the woods of the stories we tell ourselves and then interact with, with each other. <clears throat> Talk about victimhood and that as an identity and what are the pitfalls and, and pathologies of that, particularly right now, where history feels like it's really rare enough to give us a ass beating.
0: Yeah. Uh, by the way, I couldn't help but giggle when you when you said the other side of the cervix, because that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. We're, we're either on one side or the other. Uh, we'll be on the other side for the rest of eternity, so we might as well enjoy this side of the cervix while we can, so, yeah. okay. I just thought that was brilliant that you said that. Okay. Second, so I want to zoom in a uh, second of all. Um, you, the funny thing about my article from a cosmic humor perspective is that everyone interprets it to mean something in their head that personally. So mm-hmm. Democrats will read my article. They'll be like, Oh, those victimhood Republicans always crying about victimhood. Republicans will read my article and they will be like, Oh, there's snowflake liberals, mm-hmm. always yeah. victimhood. Um, Trump, Trump's, Everywhere you go, everyone, everyone, everyone loved my article. I, my article because yeah, it's was about those guys. Yeah, it's everything's <laughs> about the other person Every, for everyone. So it's like you know, I created the ultimate article. You it know, raw shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I say that with all due humility, by the way. It's a weird, weird thing to say. You created the ultimate article. It sounds a little narcissistic, but I'm saying for that perspective of I created the ultimate article for the perspective of well, if you want to like blame the other person, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the point and, and I didn't actually have a particular, you know, if you want to know the secret, I didn't actually have a, there wasn't like it was there was no uh, dog whistle here, you know, like, mm-hmm. so, like, it's not like I had like, oh, I was actually talking about the Democrats. <laughs> no, like th- it's not true. Not true. I wrote this from as bird's eye view as possible, because what I see is the victimhood Olympics going on from a from a bird's eye. You know, let's pretend we're we're, we're viewing all the weird humans, you know, from like as another species what I'm seeing is everyone thinks that their pain is more important than someone else's pain, you know, or their group's pain, you know? Um, and you see this in every single direction possible. Um, and, and we're not, we're not really listening to each other. We're not really seeing the individual in each other. We're maybe seeing their political group or we're even seeing their skin color. We're not looking beyond the skin color. Um, you know, we're not, we're not really, seeing the person and trying to make a connection um to our suffering uh i have found like when i talk to people who um yeah i have you know, black friends who've uh have certainly had experiences that i haven't had because of the color of my skin and i be the first to acknowledge that but when we start to get into the nitty-gritties of it we start to bond because i say well you know i totally see what you what that must feel like because when i was a kid i was in special education and they all thought i was stupid you know, and I was discriminated against. So I know what it feels to be discriminated against. And and what I want to live is a world where we uh, are not so polarized, that we start to have face our common humanity, that, that life is a shit show, that actually discrimination is not something we'll get to zero. You know, there will yeah. always be bullies. Can you ever imagine a a sixth grade junior high school where like no one in the whole school, like even thinks about making fun or mocking yeah. someone. Sort of punks you know?
2: constant, you know, there's an irreducible <laughs> I mean, if, if your goal
0: in life is to get zero punks uh, for the rest of humanity, well, you're, I mean, come on, really, is that really realistic? So I think that, you know, I mean, it's good if you're a principal to do as much as you can, obviously, to, mm-hmm. to make sure that
2: there, there's punitive things for people who discriminate, absolutely. Um, but but, but talk, uh, talk talk about that yeah. that part you made in the article, which was basically okay. hurt people, hurt people. That, that folks that orient around the victim mindset are actually, and, and particularly sort of always looking back to painful pasts and therefore always collapsing the, into a fearful future, Well, let me are talk actually about often that or, less empathetic. That That really struck me.
0: Okay. Well, this article was about interpersonal victimhood as a trait. Okay. So it was really more about how people, there are some people who are constant victims uh, their whole lives uh, in terms of their mentality, not necessarily the reality. Yeah. So it is very important to point out there are people who in reality are victims, you know, they're, they're real victims. Um. This, this was an interesting phenomenon where there are people who uh, even in ambiguous, so that in ambiguous situations, they always think they see malevolence, you know? Mm-hmm. So if they're walking down, I don't know if anyone could think of someone uh, who like, you you're just walking down the street and you you don't even lo- look at the person or whatever, but maybe you glance their eyes and they're like what are you looking at? You know, like you know, like it's like whoa, I don't even care about you at <laughs> all. Like I don't even know who you are. Uh, but you know, um, so there are like certain people who um constantly have this victim and and they identify for four for um, components of this victim mindset. That tend to be correlated with each other. So people who mm-hmm. tend to be perpetual victimhoods it's psychologically tend to constantly need to seek recognition of their victimhood. They mm-hmm. um, have a sense of moral elitism, um, uh, and um, they and this is the third one is the one you're referring to. They tend to lack empathy for the pain and suffering of others because they tend to feel oh, I've suffered enough in my life so i get enough points yeah (laughs) points it's your time i don't need to care exactly or i don't need to god forgives me for being violent or horrible to others because god has made me suffer enough Um, and then a fourth uh, is frequently ruminating about past uh, victimization constantly thinking um, about plotting revenge Um, these are the people who you know they'll remember like you know like the one thing you may have said in fourth grade now you're both 60 mm-hmm. years old and it's like i still you know i haven't forgiven that you know i still try to think of ways of getting back at you well, but what, um, what you were
2: describing is like the personal also seems political in the sense of those four criteria that you just described that's one person in isolation but then suddenly if you find others with shared grievances and obviously social media and lots of things are helping accelerate accelerate and exacerbate that these days um then accelerate like better yeah, the the next thing you know, right? We are into ethnocentric tribalism around yeah. grievance politics. Yeah. So what what are you seeing there? And 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 is that just individual psychology squared into pathological culture, or is there is there is there any other driver or dynamic? Like, how do we get past that? If that's what's sort of metastasizing it's, right now.
0: the only way to get past it is for people to um to acknowledge that real grievances do exist first of all um so there are people if you're talking if like for if you're just like you know don't want to be abstract if you want to zoom in and you're talking about like the black lives black lives matter movement for instance um you know there needs to be some recognition that yeah there are a lot of black people who are suffering there there are a lot of things we can do in our society to make the quality of life better for black people and, and to um, make them feel like they're fully human, that they're part of America, they're part of America, they, they belong here. So there's a lot of real they have some real grievances. Um, and but the only way forward ultimately is to um, is to think about um, what is the growth from this? You know, what is uh, what is a way that we can acknowledge the past But move forward in a very productive fashion where we we don't just focus on, for instance, police brutality and and slavery, but we also recognize, well, a lot of black people helped create America. Um, I've been posting on Twitter some examples. Some people have heard of Alexander Graham Bell. they have heard of some other, you know, people who during that time um, who have really helped, you know, develop and uh, our whole system of electricity. Our whole, you know, there there are a lot of there are a lot of there are a lot of black people who have helped build America. And I think a complex identity. Is one where we hold America, account- where America has a complex identity. Just, you know, if you want to talk about mm-hmm. tying it together, I'm going yeah. to give you a chance here to tie this all together. We talked awesome. about the importance of owning your whole self for growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, America needs to own its whole self mm. a- in the same exact way, in the same exact an- a- a- analogous way. Um, we need. We have so much defensiveness. There are so people who are like, you know, like don't call me white fragility, you motherfucker. You know, it's like okay, look. Like saying that you might have, you know, some uh, white privilege to a certain extent is not saying that is not a, saying that your whole being is like, you know, because you you know that you need to get defensive about it. You know, It's perfectly mm-hmm. OK to acknowledge that some people have it worse than me. Um, I have it worse than others um, uh, and that America has a lot of uh, blood on its hands, but also America has done a lot of good. Um, you know, there's a lot of goodness to Americans too, and to have a more, you know, more of a nuanced, complex, integrative and realistic, um, identity as an American, mm. just like we need a realistic integrated identity for ourselves is the only way forward for growth.
2: Beautiful. So is it maybe that we need to do the very thing that your book does to Maslow's learning, which is that we need to go beyond self-actualization or what's in yes. it for me, Wisdom. And we need to get into trust, self-transcendence, which is how do, I, how do I return and serve? And how do I serve the body politic? How do we serve the American experience? How do we serve exactly, exactly the communities? Well, so so awesome. And I'm going to pitch to you this, this thought that just came as I was reviewing Transcend uh, before we got on our call last night. And it was the idea of like, I was like, well, wait a sec, this is fascinating. Because I thought, oh my God, like we, the entire baby boomer generation, the me generation, Right, came up with Maslow's self-actualization as the top of the heap.
0: Well, I, I think that you're, you're really, you're touching on something really important there because socialization processes are very important uh, for uh, the, kind of, um, uh, the kind of way that we develop. And I, I do have some criticisms about the way so, so, uh, kids in this generation are being indoctrinated into certain um, woke ways of thinking, you know, mm-hmm. um, that are, um, uh, that are potentially divisive to our society in an unhelpful unproductive direction mm. um so uh i you know i think that having people uh, to grow up with a healthy sense of pride for their in-group and to learn that one can have a healthy sense of pride for one's in-group without hating one's out-group you know mm. that's not a ne- that's not a necessity it's not necessary to hate your out-group you mm-hmm. can you you're allowed to have healthy pride and also even you're actually allowed to have pride for multiple groups <laughs> it's like you're you're actually yeah. you're, you're and and here's the kicker, and I think I should leave on this because this is the point of my book. At the ultimate level of transcendence, we we have so much pride for so many groups that we mm. feel deep connectedness to all of humanity, and that's the sense of unity and um, and oneness that um, mystics have been trying to get us at for for so many years, and which I'm trying to get us at in a scientific fashion.
2: Sounds sounds like Schoolhouse Rock on MDMA.
0: I love it. I love awesome,
2: it. awesome. <laughs> All righty, man, dude. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you.
1: This episode of Collective Insights was hosted by Jamie Wheel and produced by Tina Gammon. This podcast is for informational purposes only. The podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should not use the information on the podcast for diagnosing or treating a health problem or disease or prescribing any medication or other treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider before taking any medication or nutritional, herbal, or homeopathic supplement and with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this or any other podcast. Reliance on the podcast is solely at your own risk. Information provided on the podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship between you and any of the health professionals affiliated with our podcast. Information and statements regarding dietary supplements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast doesn't make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on the podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to therein. If you think you have a medical problem, Consult a licensed physician. This podcast is owned by Neurohacker Collective.